With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. The following episode contains extremely graphic material. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Melissa McCarty. And I'm Kelly McClear. We are the journalists who brought you Killing Dad, the Crystal Howell story. Now, we bring you another jaw-dropping case, and it's one where the truth is more compelling than fiction. Over the course of the next eight episodes, we are going to take you on a true crime ride unlike anything you've ever heard. Crime sprees committed mimicking scenes from the Terminator movies. It's a saga of epic proportions, one that involves vicious gang ties, a savage double murder, a firearm store robbery with guns blazing, a multi-state manhunt, a kidnapping, a California freeway high-speed chase, a hostage situation, a Hollywood-style shootout in downtown Los Angeles, the devastating earthquake of 1994, suicide attempts, a death so sad it's unimaginable, and finally, an execution. And all of those things happened in just a matter of days. It's one of the most heinous and sad cases we have ever come across in our careers, and you're going to hear all the details from the people who lived it, some speaking for the first time publicly, and you'll hear from the killers themselves. We now bring you the miscreants. The family who kills together stays together. On January 3rd of 1994, four lives would collide. Two had planned the encounter. The other two had no idea what was about to come their way. Because at closing time of the U-Haul rental facility in Reno, Nevada, Alvaro Calambro and Duck Wen planned to rob the day's take. But things would not go as planned, and it would set off a chain of devastating events. The employees, Keith Christopher and Peggy Crawford, would be found dead the next morning in a murder so gruesome it has left a lasting impact on all those working the case to this day. We've spent hours interviewing the detectives on the case and months speaking with the deputy district attorney, pouring over unprecedented access to the files, crime scene photos, and videotaped interviews with the killers, Calambro, Wynn, and others. The evidence we have has not been released outside the courtroom until now. In this episode, you'll hear about the lives of Alvaro Calambro and Duck Wynn to provide a backstory into what started a violent rampage that left two innocent people dead and authorities on a multi-state manhunt. It's now time to get to know the miscreants. Alvaro Calambro was born in the Philippines, the third of eight children. His father, Ronaldo worked sporadically as a farmer, while his mother, Lydia, was a homemaker. Alvaro's grandparents were the primary financial and emotional support for the Calambro family because patriarch Ronaldo suffered from a mental disorder to the point of hospitalization in the Philippines. 
Alvaro said his father heard voices. Here's a rare glimpse into the mental state of Ronaldo Calambro taken from an interview with him in 1994. When you heard that voice, that, that is said, um, you cannot stand. Can't stand it? You cannot uh, uh, stop them. You cannot stop, you cannot see. You cannot stop what you cannot see. The Calambro family crossed the Pacific in 1982 in search of a better life. Alvaro was 10 years old when they first settled in California, but life didn't get any better for Alvaro or his family. His father's mental state wreaked havoc by the way of physical and sexual abuse towards his own children. Around the age of 14, Alvaro was put in juvenile detention for skipping school, and he dropped out in the ninth grade. He also had a history of running away from home to escape his abusive father. In 1987, Alvaro's older sister Naomi went to Reno, Nevada, where she met a man named Duck Wen, who worked at a local casino. He appeared to have money, so Naomi and 17-year-old Alvaro, their mother Lydia, and their younger sister Maria, who you will also hear being referred to as Leah in some of the interviews, moved to the biggest little city in hopes of a better, more prosperous life. Shortly after, though, the relationship between Naomi and Duck crumbled, leaving Maria, Alvaro, and Duck to fend for themselves. Naomi moved to Las Vegas as she noticed Duck was in love with her younger sister, Maria. Here's actor reenactments of the conversation Maria had with a detective describing her family dynamic. I stayed with Duck and my brother stayed with Duck. And that's how we become best friends at that time. And um, But my sister blames me that um, I stole her husband because they got married. Saying I stole her husband, that's why I feel funny. That got married to your sister. Yeah, but he loved me. He did not love her. But I do not love Duck because I was a tomboy then and I do not love men. But Duck loved me, so I told him he has to wait one more year to become my boyfriend. And I finally liked him. <laughs> what happened from there? My sister divorced him. I do not want to get married, and I want to make sure he loves me forever. Romeo and Juliet kind of a love, and he's too much trouble. I want to stay boyfriend and girlfriend so I can get out and do whatever, and he can do whatever. Maria was underage at the time, but sparked a relationship with Duck, and they had a son named Bin. Duck, a Vietnamese immigrant, bounced from job to job, struggling to make ends meet for the family living in a trailer on Keatska Lane in Reno. David Stanton was the chief deputy district attorney in Nevada in the 90s and remembers the relationship between Alvaro and Duck. Duck was the leader. He was certainly older than Alvaro. He was older by uh, older than him by several years. Uh, my recollection is over 10 for sure. And so you would just think as a natural artifact of that, that he would be the more prominent leader or personality in it. But then you looked at, at personality. Duck is outgoing, he's opinionated, he's vocal, he's physical when he and animated when he talks. Alvaro's almost the exact opposite. He's very withdrawn, he's quiet, he's not vocal, he's not animated, and he's not loud. Um, but there are specific instances in various different stages of this thing you know, long, incredible story that it's not fair to say unequivocally that Duck was the leader at all times 
and in all occasions. So I would say as a practical matter and to be accurate about it, Duck was certainly the dominant personality on many different levels, but that's not how it how it played out in very crucial time periods all the time. Like Alvaro, Duck had a troubled past. Here's an interview with Duck's friend, Annie Marshall, in 1994. The audio is a little hard to hear because it was recorded on a VHS camera, but it paints a clear picture of who Duck was. You knew Duck when, is that correct? His uh, ex-wife uh, used to have a little grocery store, and I went there and guess five. He had he had been in the Vietnamese army. Is that correct? I. I just heard that he had a rough life over there. He was an orphan and he was out on the street a lot. You know, he didn't have a home life. Okay. Um, you also mentioned that you heard about Duck's reputation in the unit. Is that correct? Right. That's correct. Duck was charged at some point with statutory rape. Is that correct? That's correct. For, do you know how old the, the girl was? I think she's about 15. Duck was drawn to Reno with the prospect of making money, and Duck thought the easy way to do it was to gamble. He had a job at a local casino, but that wouldn't last long, as Annie Marshall recalled. But Duck worked at Circus Circus for a time? He, he got caught cheating on the okay. table. And did he, did he admit to cheating? No, he did not admit to me at the time. He said he was a, a set up. His lawyer and I, I met with the gaming commission lady, and she showed the tape. And um, so what happened to Doug after he got caught cheating? Um, he was arrested. Duck's gambling got so bad at one point, to prove to an ex-wife he was done with his betting ways, he cut off one of his fingers on his left hand. Annie also had a front row seat to the relationship between Duck and Maria also known as Leah. Who was the leader of the two between the Oh, no. He was older. Not that I saw. Not that you saw. I heard that, you know, she better do what he wants her to do, otherwise he might beat her up. With three adults and a baby under one roof, money was more important than ever. And while Alvaro and Duck were close, they would cultivate ties with another family in 1993 that started their miscreant ways. Duck and Alvaro worked at the McCarran International Airport in Reno, Nevada, in a rental car agency, um, moving vehicles from different areas on the property. Um, it might have, I just know they was moving vehicles primarily, ultimately, we found out in investigations that Alvaro and Duck had made friends through individuals that lived near them in a trailer park. So at the time of my uh, assessment of the investigation of what these guys are doing when the first kind of events ultimately leading to the cascade of events uh, of the murder and things that happen afterwards, is they befriend some gang members in their trailer park um, in Reno that are involved in an international stolen motor vehicle, stolen parts uh, between here and Mexico and countries beyond. 
and Alvaro and Duck were setting up for easy pickings the vehicles the, from the rental car agency. They were assisting members of this gang in stealing the vehicles to then be driven, transported outside the country or to other cities, other parts of the cities, to either be sold as uh, stolen vehicles or to be parted out in part of a much larger criminal enterprise involving stolen vehicles and stolen uh, automobile parts. So that was the first known criminal activity. Do you remember what gang they were affiliated with? Uh, MS-13. Hispanic gangs, especially in the Southwest and especially in Los Angeles and San Diego have been around, well, for now, uh, you know, 100 years. Wow. And it's the most long-term gang culture, you know, not always, clearly not like it is now. Um, It was more of a, you know, social, certainly it wasn't just immune and, and not involved in criminal activity, but nowhere near what it is now as far as being the center or a significant part of gang. And besides the automobile thefts, did Duck or Alvaro have any other criminal history that you came across? Not up to that point that we ever saw, no. After the ring of stolen rental cars, Duck tries for a more reputable career path. He's hired in U-Haul uh, without probably any pre-existing knowledge of uh, his behavior and their behavior at the performance at uh, the rental car company. And he's working as kind of a mechanical fix-it-up guy at U-Haul. And uh, Peggy Crawford is the manager of the U-Haul uh, business on South Virginia Street in Reno, Nevada. What did you learn mm-hmm. about his time there? Well, that it was relatively short as far as the length of time uh, that he worked um, and was a generally good worker uh, as far as what his work product uh, was. Uh, There was no complaints about him, that there was no significant or strongly negative or any negative things in, in his employment file. Duck's boss was a woman named Peggy Crawford. Do you remember what went down with him and Peggy, or was that all a mystery? Okay. No, 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 no. That actually plays an incredibly ironic twist on the whole thing. There was some precipitating event or events that caused Peggy Crawford to be on the phone with her manager. I don't know if it was one notch up or a couple notches up. And she had had a conflict with Duck. It was a series of events where Duck was being disrespectful and um, to Peggy as his boss and that he was, this disrespect was done publicly in front of others, customers and employees, and that it had occurred more than once. And if memory serves me correct, Peggy ends up calling the, because there's an event that's occurring in real time with Duck that she's, 
dock his pay doing something. And she calls this manager, her, her supervisor, let's say. And while they're on the phone discussing it, Duck verbally goes off. He's screaming at Peggy loudly in front of customers, in front of all the people that are in the shop. And I think also using vulgarity, but very demeaning, very rough stuff, um, as it, I later found out. And the person on the phone with Peggy goes, hold on a second. Is that the guy I hear in the background? Is that the employee that you're calling me about? And she goes, yes, it is. And he goes, fire him immediately. And she does. She gets off the phone, fires him. And then, of course, that lights the fuse. That's the beginning of the U-Haul. Duck is fired from his job at the U-Haul facility in Reno, Nevada. And that is when this tragic tale begins to take shape. He's fired in September of 93. The wheels are coming off the bus a little bit with Alvaro, Duck, and, and Leah. And it may be that it's coming off in a negative way, like things in their life isn't, isn't going as planned. But when I would tell you right now, having listened to their interviews, they both lived a life that they wanted to live in the sense of committing crimes was not a moral dilemma for them. They wanted to make money, they wanted to make a lot of money, and they wanted to do it quickly. So I think one person can look at this and say, look, in September of 93, after being fired at U-Haul, the wheels are coming off, the, the are starting to wobble. But in the same token, there, I think, it's equally plausible to say that they're now upping their game. And it would be a game that would leave a trail of mass destruction. Coming up on the next episode of The Miscreants, a double murder so horrific, it's hard to fathom. Well, I remember an officer being there and I remember walking in there and I said, oh my God. And I see um, Peggy, she's hogtied, she's got tape around her mouth. She's got a crowbar sticking out of her skull. Pretty yeah. gory. What I saw at the scene told me that the person that died last had to live through hell. Knowing and feeling and seeing and smelling what was occurring and that they were next and there wasn't a damn thing they could do to stop it. And is to this day, uh, the worst scene I've ever seen. And later, a multi-state manhunt is underway for the miscreants. During the pursuit in the interstates in, in Los Angeles, California, uh, he's shooting at a gas tanker truck because he had watched an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where that had occurred, where he, Arnold Schwarzenegger, during the movie, had shot a gasoline truck and it exploded. And that's what Alvaro thought was going to happen. <laughs> ¶¶ 